0: The presenting sponsor of On Education is Participate. Lately, teachers from all over have been working together to find new approaches to provide quality remote education. Participate's sister company, Participate Learning, presents United We Teach, a global gathering place for educators to share distance learning resources as we navigate these strange times. For these resources and more, visit participate.com slash oneducation.
1: So I need people to understand the feelings that they're feeling right now. Black people and people of color have felt fought for a while.
2: Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn.
0: And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. It's been a week. We'll talk about how educators have responded to the current protests surrounding the murder of George Floyd. And our guest this week is educator and speaker, Michael
2: Bonner. It's funny how um, it feels like every week is the longest week of our lives. <laughs> this 2020 is already the longest decade of my life.
0: Yes. Yeah, I've seen those kind of things and I totally agree. Yes, this week uh, has been a week. So I didn't think it could uh, actually... I thought there would be a peak to events happening in 2020, and that peak would be, you know, related to obviously to COVID 19, and and so on and so forth, and and then it would be kind of like a downhill, you know, like mm. a, a back to normalcy at some point happening, um, and that is definitely not the case. And no. and yeah, it's it seems uh, like an alternate reality, but maybe a reality that we all needed to go ahead basically uh, we needed to snap out of our um, comfortable little lives you know what I mean yeah yeah, it's like like, oh this is a way of an awakening where it's like (gasps) um, it's harsh it's crazy some people are dying um, the president is the president and and it's just one thing after another and then trying to trying to keep up with things and then also trying to make sure that you have some normalcy to bring to your to your kids and to your family um pretty friggin' difficult
2: it's been hard and i'll tell you you know i in, even if we're in canada and i mean it's i'm tired up here and i can't even imagine how exhausted people are um from dealing with you know injustice after injustice after crisis after crisis after you know health scare after health scare and um and then you know you know that's just for the white people if you were (laughs) if you were a you know a a person of color you know add to you know the risk of you know going out for a jog um uh to it or or bird watching and you know uh it's it's funny i i we have i have a, a a funny part on the outline and it's ironic that there's no room this week i don't think mm. for you know much of anything other than what we're here to actually talk about yeah. um and that's that's it's it's wild it's uh there was actually an incident in Toronto as well that's being investigated so it's funny that um obviously the news has been dominated by George Floyd and um the subsequent protests and you know the president doing what he does best um but um a, a woman in Toronto was pushed off of a balcony oh, by God. a police by a police officer um or at least that's what the reports are right now and and she died wow. um and so we have our own kind of like so it's a really good reminder for our Canadian listeners um that you know this isn't exclusive. What's going on right now in the United States is not exclusively an American issue that um there's work to be done everywhere um there's work to be done in every city in every country um kind of everywhere so for sure. Um, Don't think because you don't... um, Don't you dare um, let me see you tweet or Facebook post, you know, so glad I live in Canada where this isn't a problem because, frankly, you're full of shit. Um, (laughs) Uh. And it's just... It's not the time because you need to see that, you know, this is happening everywhere. And um, I want to mentioned and I and I don't like it, it's funny we we posted on our Twitter account for the podcast um, uh, that uh, it, it I didn't want to speak for it's funny. I didn't want to speak for Glenn, so Glenn and I had a conversation by text before i before I tweeted it. but um I am trying to speak for myself, but also kind of hopefully you know, help lead this, this podcast in, 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 in some ways in the sense that, um, I'm, I want to express at least personally a renewed commitment. You know, we've always said we talk about the tough stuff and I think we're known for that. And, you know, and even then I don't think we're doing it enough. And I think that we have a platform and we have an opportunity, us, Mm. you and me, Specifically, and then the rest of our team uh, as well um, to um, unapologetically ask important hard questions hmm. um, and um as you'll hear me say to Michael Bonner later i I don't need you to have the answers if you're a guest on our show. I don't need you to you know um spend." you know, all night thinking about what I might ask you and then being ready to come up with some sort of scripted response. Um, I don't expect you to um, have the silver bullet for solving race and education Mm. or, or um, you know, how we teach kids um, about LGBTQ issues or about immigration or about all of these other really complicated questions that exist in education, but I do need you as a leader because we do like, this is who we're interviewing people who write books and speak and have public platforms and Mm -hmm. are, are held up, you know, whether they like it or not held up as leaders in the educational world. Um, And I expect you to be able to handle a real question, not just about your book or not just about your YouTube channel or whatever conference you're speaking at, um, or whatever great set these, this is all awesome. Like we love you for it. You, you're doing great work or we wouldn't have you on the podcast. If you weren't doing awesome work, you wouldn't be talking to us because that's who we want to talk to. But we're going to ask you real questions because an education, as an educational leader, I believe that you should also be speaking about this stuff as well. Hmm. And so you should expect it from now on, at least from me, and um, be expected to formulate some sort of an answer. You should have thoughts on this. Please, have thoughts on this. I need you to have thoughts on this.
0: I was thinking as we were texting back and forth about this. Yeah. Um, and even in the conversation that you guys will listen to later with Michael Bonner, these are, it's, it, you know, when you say you've, you may, you have some certain statements you've made on the podcast that kind of some, some Mike isms, I call them. One of them is it's complicated, right? Um, sometimes it's a, you say things like it, it, this is a difficult topic to, there's many aspects to this topic, whatever it might be. Um, this is a time when this is truly, we can see it. it's right in front of our faces. And as I told Michael, I can't remember if it was on or off air, but I, I I just told him myself as far as things that I feel some apprehension as far as not wanting to say or ask the wrong things. Mm. <laughs> and I think a lot of people, a lot of our listeners probably can could empathize with that. They can say that it's like hey, I, I don't know what to do. So I think that asking these questions to our educational leaders, the people that we're going to interview on the show, and being able to start formulating, you know, like what what is it? How how are we going to move forward from this from this year twenty twenty? Because it's not only a year of crisis of a epidemic uh, as far as a medical crisis. But it's definitely shaping up to be this gigantic possible There's a
2: societal crisis now as well.
0: But this societal crisis, as you know how we discussed like COVID-19, we didn't want to say it could be an opportunity to do things, but we said, well, basically we can change some things about the way that we do school for the positive. This is a time we can do that. Well, this is a time that we can go ahead and do something as a society to change the injustices that have been prevalent for centuries, you know, as the beginning of this country. So it's a it's a difficult time. It's a difficult difficult conversations, but they need to be had. The questions need to be asked, and there may not be the perfect answer. There is no perfect answers actually. Let's put it that way. There is there no perfect answer. There does not need to be. But there needs to be some, some leadership and some thought through these uh, uh, about all of these different topics, yeah. and then also how do we go ahead and 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 what type of things can we actually do? You know, I always think about that. That's what I've been asking people: is like, give me some actions, some things that I can do right now with my own kids, with the students that I. Uh, teach next fall with whoever I'm actually around, my my fellow educators for professional development sessions, what are some action things? And I think that educational leaders should be able to give us some of those things too.
2: I, I don't, we've never needed people to be perfect. I mean, if you're just running around expecting your educators and your educational, these, these, Whoever's these edu celebrities, if you want to call them that, I don't, I don't care anymore what you call them, but (laughs) you know, these people, if you're expecting them to be perfect, you're, you're just, you're wrong Mm. and you got to stop. You you got, but you got to allow them, please. We also have to allow everyone. We all have to allow each other to have the conversations and to not necessarily be able to frame it word for word, pitch perfect. Um, We got to be able to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and move forward together, um, without, um, um, animus, um, you know, coming from that. And, and I hope that, um, you know, you hear more from us, uh, in that, in that vein and in that way, mm. um, Joe Truss, who, who I, I'd never heard of on Twitter, but, um, you know, I I'm following him now because he he wrote a hell of a hell of a tweet, hell of a thread that, um, you know, I, we're gonna link it in the show notes. But yes. at the at the start of it, just says to to white educators today, you're posting about social justice, buying anti-racist books, following brown folks, and temporarily changing your profile pictures. Here's what I need you to do tomorrow, um, and I'll tell you if if you're if you're a, a white person. Or, or, you know, I guess whoever. But if you're a white person and you're thinking, you know, what what can I do? What it, you know, there you go. Like, there's the this is the Cole's notes for for what you can do um, to you know not just say that you're supporting people of color and that you're anti-racist, but you know, actually showing. It in tangible, real ways. Um, just like, you know, we're going to try to use this platform to do that a little bit. And so, you know, I, I, I think this thread was good. It was, uh, it was an important read. It's something I'll probably save and come back to every once in a while, just as a reminder.
0: For sure, for sure. And I, I, I will be the first to admit, growing up as a half-Mexican, half-white kid who really didn't give a crap about school, social studies history whatever might be in general i missed a lot of things i missed you know as i look down the line here as far as the things that he gives that advice what should you we should what should we actually be doing one of the things he talks about is right away is read about the history narratives of black people written by black people well i'll be honest with you i have not done that and so already i'm i'm (laughs) I have some things that I need to do, and some people have given all, on social media have done a great job as far as giving the specific a multitude of books and resources
2: mm-hmm.
0: written for ignoramuses like me. <laughs> and I need to do that, though I because I only have my limited experience, and it has to do specifically with being the son of an illegal immigrant and this, this specific lens, this story, I, I don't have the lens for anything else. I, I, I want to learn more and I want, and I do support, you know, the movements and, and, um, the protests and, and basically anything else, but that does, that's not enough. And I already know that that's not enough. So, as I looked down this thread, I was like, oh, my God. It felt like heavy. It feels heavy. But, it, but you know, as you'll listen to the interview, you guys, I mean, you guys don't want to miss this interview. That's, that's coming up here. Michael Potter says that heaviness is the weight that all African-Americans feel every single day mm. on a multitude of topics. You know, the heaviness that we feel right now about not really having been read up and not really knowing enough and not... You know, feeling apprehensive or whatever it might be. Well, multiply that as it says in this in this thread times a million, and then you will you might get to the point where you understand um, what an experience is beyond what we actually know. Especially for mm-hmm. our, like it says, our our people of color, our African American citizens. I mean, it just it's crazy.
2: Yeah. So, friends, listen. You're gonna hear Glenn and I struggle with this potentially in real time yes on on the podcast and um i hope that you give us the space to do that i hope that you um allow us um you know into your um feed still even if we get things wrong every once in a while um or don't frame the conversation in exactly the right way we're um, learning, um, and uh, one of the things that we're committing to is is this learning and um, having this conversation a lot more and having more guests that can talk about this and help you um, work through this as well. I think that that's one of the services, Glenn, that we can yeah, provide is, is bringing on folks that can help the people who are listening work yes. through this so they'll help us. Um, you and, and i and our team but they'll have the added benefit of obviously helping all of the people out there that are listening that are struggling in some of the same ways that we are and um and so we hope that we can just continue to do this and and um have these really important conversations and that um whoever we do bring on um you know, Adam File next week wanted to have him on forever. Another amazing educator who I'm really excited to talk to and will absolutely have opinions on this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really excited. And, and Jed Dearyberry um, from uh, from North Carolina, no, South Carolina, um, you know, who is very outspoken on Twitter and will have, you know, we have these folks that I think are going to be super helpful Um, with us as we move forward and um, it's almost providence maybe that um, they've um, that we've been able to line up um, some guests to come on um, not knowing that we were gonna have to like pivot into this sort of conversation but I think we have the right people to help us through it Um, so so listen um, I really hope Um, that you enjoy uh, our next guest. Uh, Stay tuned and we'll be speaking with uh, Michael Bonner when we come back.
0: GoGuardian helps thousands of K-12 school districts maximize the learning potential of over 8 million students. GoGuardian's products enable productive and safe digital learning by helping educators identify learning patterns, protect students from harmful and distracting content and support mental health to support schools during their distance learning transition GoGuardian is offering free access to their entire product suite until the end of the school year. To learn more about GoGuardian and download their free resources about distance learning, visit their distance learning resource center at GoGuardian.com slash distance learning.
2: Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest this week is a Ron Clark Academy teacher in Atlanta and a renowned and respected presenter and keynote and author welcome back to the podcast michael bonner
1: hey man it's a pleasure i, I, I miss you guys so much like I, I wish we could i wish we could do a live podcast with a bunch and some some drinks yeah. and just education right? one day when COVID goes away
2: right right well we'll be at ISTE, and hopefully things come back and maybe mm-hmm. if you can come to ISTE, that's that's okay. where it happens oh, yeah. um So we invited you on a few weeks ago, not knowing that, you know, in addition to a health crisis, which is what we kind of wanted to talk to you about, Mm -hmm. that we'd have, you know, multiple crises that we'd end up having to discuss. And so, you know, we appreciate you coming on in uh, what are obviously incredibly complex and uh, tough times. Um, So first, how are you? how you doing? How's your family?
1: Uh I am doing better last week. I was extremely uh feeling heavy um being around my family always recharges me. My parents live four acres on the farm. There's no noise. I'm in Atlanta complete different mm. contrast. So I'm able to sleep. I was able to eat good um and to love with my family. <laughs> so everybody's doing well. We are aware of what's going on in society um and everybody's just sort of trying to stay positive and figure out the best, the best uh next action steps to make sure that we can make some type of change happen.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, what has teaching looked like for you um, during COVID nineteen? Yeah. We talked a little bit off air about what you guys are doing, but I'd love uh, to talk about how RCA has been managing during remote learning, and you know, what's your what's Michael Bonner's day look like? Right. So,
1: for us, we switched to remote learning within a week. We tried to teach classes on Facebook Live. Mm. It did not work out as smooth because you don't have the interactions from the students. You know, they're trying to chat in the comments. So then we switched over to Zoom. Um, And our school, we always push on top of, you know, high instruction relationships. So we came into the concept of COVID-19 of what can we do that's best for our students? So we went from having a full day, because RCA will go from 7.30 until 4.30 easily. We uh, trimmed our class schedules to 9 to 12. Um, I teach 6th and 4th grade, so I have 30-minute sessions with each class. Um, They have technology devices at their house, and we use Google Classroom. And I just try to make sure I didn't overwhelm them but still mm-hmm. figure out a way to engage them. And I, I knew quickly that people didn't understand if you were a terrible teacher in the classroom, you probably going to be terrible online. So you have to figure <laughs> out how to, how to switch some stuff up because I was trash <laughs> online at first. Like I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Ideas and lessons were failing, but it taught me something very quickly. And I'm so glad because I touched on it at ISTE is that our education system has been yearning for some type of reformational change. Mm-hmm. And COVID-19, unfortunately with all the crazy things that's happened with it, it's forced us to change. Students can learn anything that we're teaching them from YouTube or Google. So when you get on these online classes, what are you going to say to engage them? What are you going to do to get them inside of a conversation? How can you move it from being teacher directed and you talking all the time to actually facilitate a phenomenal conversation so learning can happen? So it forced everybody to shift the way they teach. It forced everybody to adapt. But I'm grateful for it because if you are open to adapting, you're open to becoming a better educator or better in any sense.
2: Do you have a Do you have a sense that uh, RCA is going to be open in September? Have they given you any guidance on what's coming up in the fall? Everything. I know, I know. I think that there's been some guidelines released just the other day about Georgia schools. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much uh, a private school follows those kind of guidelines yeah. or how how well they how close they they they. they, they stick to those? Mm-hmm.
1: We follow everything from the CDC. Uh, Mr. Clark and Mrs. Bearden doing a final job of keeping their eyes close to it because we also operate as a training facility. So we have teachers coming to the classrooms with our students. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit different for us. I think we're watching it like everybody else and trying to see what's happening. I have seen a lot of interesting models um, in regards to hybrid learning So or blended model in a sense so that you have two, three days at school and then two days at home You know, trying mm-hmm. to figure out how that will work. Um, I just hope that we are just sensitive to the needs of families consistent to the needs of kids as we try to navigate the season and figure out how to adapt great companies and great uh, organizations and people figure out how to adapt and 08 when the great recession happened um that is when uber and snapchat and all those things were created right now it's the same concept who's going to be innovative and adapt so that we can go forth and do great things
2: yeah that return to class seems pretty far off yeah. um that kind of personal um, interactions with your students. And so much is going to happen between now and then. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I have a sense of, but I, but I have a sense that America is, is at a bit of a breaking point and, and while the, the nuances of this conversation might change, I don't think the conversation is going away um, this time. I think that, you know, we're seeing protests, um, you know, in a different way than we've seen before. And, um, I want to acknowledge that I don't think we expect you or mm-hmm. Glenn or I don't think anyone should expect me or any other educational leader um, or, or someone who puts themselves out as a leader to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all struggling and working through how to approach this time. I've never had a harder time writing questions than I wrote <laughs> than, than I did uh, mm-hmm. tonight. Well, um, and, it should be,
1: it should be easy. We're good. <laughs> no,
2: we're good. But I mean, we we're all struggling about how to approach this. I can approach it. Um, you. you ready? I got something for you. Yeah. And so I want to know, I actually want to know what you're going to say to your students. Okay. No, I want probably. I want to know, I want to know this. I, I'd love to know what you're going to talk to them about when you talk to them about George Floyd.
1: They have already been talking. This is the thing. They have already seen it and have been talking about it. So mm-hmm. as yep. an educator, a smart educator should be able to guide them towards facts and guide them towards a unbiased uh point or a springboard so they can understand and gather everything that's going on. NBC Nightly News is supposed to ask me tomorrow, uh, how can you appropriately explain everything that's going on to kids? And I told them it's very simple. If a child is being bullied in school for an entire week and they keep telling the person to stop, that doesn't work. They go and tell the teacher, that doesn't work. They go and tell their parents who talk to the administration, that doesn't work. And the bully never receives any type of consequences, I try to explain to them that's sort of what's happening right now and with uh, George Ford and why it's exploded like it has. For years, 400 years, sixteen, nineteen. Uh, people have been discriminated by the color of their skin, from slavery to all different types of crazy historical things, and people are fed up. That right there, seeing it on TV, was the opening I moment for everyone to say, this is, this is out of control. And that is why the looting is happening. That is why the rioting is happening. I think Martin Luther King says that looting or rioting is the language of the unheard. So, people feel yes. like their voices aren't being heard. Mm. If somebody keeps touching you in an aggressive way of disrespecting you, eventually you want to stop saying stop and physically do something. So, <laughs> our students are noticing these things. And if you notice, they're on the front lines. Some of them are protesting. So I try to explain that as a social studies teacher to my kids from a historical standpoint, this did not just come out of anywhere. This anger, this frustration did just come out of nowhere. Before uh, George Floyd, we had Ahmaud Arbery um, in Georgia Um, and his death happened in February. We just found out about it last month. So you can go down the list, Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, just so many situations that it has bubbled up that people are just fed up. And our students understand bullying. They understand um, stress. and They're like, "Okay, I sort of get it. They're more frustrated with people and teachers and peers that are not speaking up. Hmm. I have text messages from seven graders I can show you this screenshot sent to you. They're frustrated about people uh, because it's sort of they find it uh, hypocritical for you to say that, hey, I love my students so much. I love my kids. But when something happens in their community, I don't have anything to say. Mm. I sort of put that out today because in education, music is a thing. Whole brain teaching, get the music going, write educational content to the music. And I know for me, I have used music and beats and stuff from the hip hop area. And I feel like that's a little difficult to use something from their culture. When something happens to their culture, I, I don't have anything to say. Same mm. thing with the kids being detained at the border. Right? I yeah. go to Taco Tuesday all the time. But when something is happening with them, I don't have anything to say. Mm. Kids are noticing all of that. Yeah. And this this generation's fed up.
0: Following along with that, I actually work in Minnesota, and mm-hmm. our district, which isn't uncommon, unfortunately, mm-hmm. hasn't said a thing about this. Mm-hmm. And I think many times, educational leaders, though I have seen some of them on social media, mm-hmm. uh, throughout the country, mm-hmm. they do the safest thing possible. Mm-hmm. I I I just feel like that's they want it. They weigh out all the options, and they're going to go with the safest. Route possible, mm-hmm. so they we have families and our students that are students of color. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't we be releasing statements of support and show how much we value and respect? See yes. our individual students, their families, the entire movement, and everything that's actually happening. You know, as a, as a as an educational institution here inside of Minnesota. Where our famous statement, Michael, is that we're all nice. You know, they talk about Minnesota nice. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. They, yeah. Uh, it, it's baffling to me, and and it's tough. Maybe it's just one of those things, like I I, I was talking to you off air, where many of us are afraid, as I was texting Mike, to put our own foot into our own mouth. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? As yeah, far sure. as saying a stupid thing or mm-hmm. asking the wrong type of question. Right. Um And so then you don't say anything, Mm you know, so So,
1: yeah. Yes, they should say something. If you're saying that students matter, how are you displaying that? And if they're being affected and harmed and you have nothing to say for students, you say you love, you care about, that's, that's an issue. That's an issue. Um, especially larger companies and things. I know why some individuals won't say it. We can definitely touch on that, really. So, matter of fact, we can touch on that now. Um, yeah. Especially in my profession with keynote speaking and stuff, because if you say the wrong thing at the wrong crowd at the wrong conference that is, you know, funded, more than likely you're not going to be invited back. And that is yeah. messing with your pockets, right? Yes. But for the people that are scared to say something, I want to make sure I say this in the, in the most gentle way possible. Um, God has really blessed me in the last three years. I think I've done uh, like 144 different keynote speeches. Every speech I go to, Glenn and Mike, I am the minority in the room. Yes. You have heard me speak before, and no, I do not back down from any topic. I'm always nervous before I go. I'm nervous when I go to small towns. I am nervous when I go to towns and I see Make America Great Again throughout the entire city. I'm nervous when I go into an area and nobody looks like me. I am nervous when I'm standing on stage and presenting facts that is research proven, um, that shows how racism and things are inside of our school systems. I'm always nervous. I had to deal with a speech back last year when I went to August. In August, I went to Missouri, and the KKK was doing a rally down the street to stop the diversity training from coming, diversity and equity training from coming from the county. So I need people to understand the feelings that they're feeling right now. Black people and people of color have felt it for a while. Yeah. The apprehension of should I say something? And yeah. I just made up in my mind. I don't care about how much money they pay, or if nobody ever invites Michael Bonner to speak again. I have to say this if I say I truly love my kids because they're watching if mm-hmm. they're listening. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So if you feel the apprehension, that's why I have certain people that I talk to. I have um, some of my friends from Hispanic culture. I have some friends from Asian culture. And when I'm unsure about something, I ask them. Like for my county, is a good example. Uh, when somebody that speaks Spanish, they will automatically assume that that person is Mexican. I'm telling yes. them, rogue. I had to learn that. Best- one of the most offensive things that you could ever do, right? But it took me being vulnerable. It took me saying, yo, I I don't know. And I had to be open to learning in that space. And that's why it's going to be interesting to see with technology and Twitter and stuff. Because when COVID happened, everybody was a technology expert. People are pushing their books, (laughs) capitalism. And if you watch it, every educational leader or people are starting to say something about what's going on right now. I only have an issue with it if you're not maintaining the same type of energy within your circle. Ron Clark and Kim Bearden have said something public on social media, but a week and a half ago, Ron Clark and Kim Bearden sent an email to their staff members and to their families saying, hey, we're here with you. We don't understand. Let us know how we can help. And that's why I think the conversation needs to go. You may not always Mm -hmm. know, but taking action, and not taking action are both still actions, not as neutral.
2: I think I think I'm learning um, myself, um, you know, how to center, you know, you in this conversation, for example, mm-hmm. and centering the students in the conversation as opposed to you know, other other ways that things can be framed and and um, learning. No- I'm trying not to be afraid, like Glenn is saying. I think sure. the one thing that we're trying not to do is be afraid of making the mistakes and knowing that, you know, we have friends like you yeah. and and a bunch of other friends that can can say, here's an interesting way to frame this that might be different than the way you're thinking now and not have that come back to us um, as contention or yeah. anger or f- Or anything like that but as a friend Mm -hmm. and uh it's important to have that kind of a conversation where there's you know mutual respect um and that we're all kind of learning together and 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 trying to um move some things because uh because definitely it's time to move
1: it saves you I, i have my best friends i have a phenomenal circle one um, when situation when Ahmaud Arbery happened, I made a, a Sunday talk video because I've been doing it now on social media, just trying to just try something new. Um, yeah. The first one was so full and and of emotion and anger that mm-hmm. my friends told me don't put that out there because when I listened to it, I heard your pain, I heard your anger, and I didn't take I didn't have any takeaways from it. So you you're actually confirming what you already know. Having a trusted group of people that you can run ideas through and you can be vulnerable with, and you know they know you're not trying to be offensive. That's what's going to help us move forward and make something magical happen in education because we need it. And I'm here for it.
0: One of our favorite educational tech companies, which we believe actually it make it it really does a great job of connecting educators to a specific product without it feeling fake. That's that's what I actually told them to their faces. And that is Flipgrid. And they went out there and stated their supports, and they uh, had a statement on on, on social media that mm-hmm. they said, we stand with Black and African-American communities as we work to build a more just, equal, and safe world. Our mission has always been to empower every voice and respect diverse voices of others. I'm I'm thinking about every single – anybody that's related to anything that has to do with education in general. Mm-hmm. So big – uh, corporate entities like Pearson yes. uh, to to any little type of companies themselves. I think this is the perfect time for them to put out those types of statements and really stand behind them to say, mm-hmm. now what can we actually do mm-hmm. to be able to support whatever is that's next? That's really mm-hmm. what I'm thinking of right now. Yeah. Is like there's there's this moment it's happening right at this moment. But mm-hmm. I also grew up in the '90s, and there was this incident in the '90s. That burned half of the city of L.A. with Rodney King. King. Right. And it seems like this is a repeat of that. And then if we just flash back uh, even a little bit further back in the 60s, I mean, I'm just I'm just thinking of all of these things and it feels like we haven't quite done a good job of 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 actually doing the right action steps.
1: Because racism, which is a social construct, has been embedded in so many different systems that we do on the everyday basis, from social media to media companies, to the law system, to the hospital system, to the education system. But we have to remember, and I'm so glad, shout out to Flipgrid, I use your products, I love you, thank you for making great technology, <laughs> a great application. Um, we have to understand that there are people that run those companies, and we don't know if they have their own biases and stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. So... When you're talking about stepping out, and if you think about too stepping out right now is if you make a public statement, people are going to hold you to that, right? Mm. That's why I love about being a, a a teacher who speaks because I can on stage and give you all the educational theories and research. But at some point, you want to say, "Is Michael really doing that in his classroom?" Though, mm. so when people stand up and say, "Black and African lives matter," okay, let's see how you maintain that energy throughout the course of the rest of this year. And I don't think people are necessarily ready for that, and I hope yeah. they are. Um, because people are going to be looking for that. I'm so grateful that Flipgrid do it. A lot of the big companies should do it um, because it's needed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh friends ed tech companies if you're listening you can't say you support students and communities by offering discounts and sales uh this is a time where you need to say you support students and communities by actually supporting students and communities and showing them that you um understand them you hear them and you're listening and you're going to work with us and with anyone else to you know have their backs during this time um i don't need your discounts i right. i need your voices and right. i need your platforms um and that's what we need the most I, right. I think that um you know it doesn't surprise me knowing the folks at flipgrid as we do mm-hmm. um and we've dealt with them a lot um you know that they would be um out with a strong statement like this um, which is great. Nice one
1: more time is that um, we have to remember because the golden rule is school treat others how you want to be treated like it's embedded in us. But our society, we are a capitalistic society. We don't fully run off of morality. If we ran off of morality, the stimulus package that needs to come and happen now will be already be passed and yes. people wouldn't be rushed to go back out to work because they had to open the economy because we needed to make more money. So mm. when it comes to people making statements, they may, may affect their bottom line. I can see the, the why they're like, OK, maybe we don't. <laughs> because if I say this, oh, I may lose this donor, or I may lose this funder, uh-huh. and I just made up in my mind, um, if I'm y'all, doing COVID-19, I've been teaching myself how to day trade, <laughs> learning about the stock market because I know I don't want what I make to be tied to the biases and opinions of somebody else, and okay. as an educational consultant, speaking at ST and other big conferences, I may say something one day that even though it's true, <laughs> oh, I don't need to hear Michael Bond. Oh, my man, you can count on me doing it. Hey, so. It's crazy because I, I, it's, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing, man. It's a weird. Thing. Yeah,
2: no, I gotcha. So I'm, I'm curious if you've thought at all about the narratives around protesting and rioting and looting. Um we know uh, a lot of the bad actors in these situations we know now, I guess, um aren't tied to the actual protests in a lot of cases. We're learning kind of some things as we go, but we've certainly learned a lot about what's what's going on out there on the on the streets uh during this time. Our students and your students in Atlanta are absolutely as you've said, they're already thinking about this and asking about this and talking about this so i'm curious about your thoughts specifically uh on how we're talking to our students about protests <laughs> and about riots and about looting and and the narratives and the how you know even those words have become yeah. you know mm. politicized and racialized in yeah. some cases yes. and that's that's pretty crazy too this is
1: so good all right so do first it, off. Do it Mike. Do first it. off let's do this <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh, my mind is going to so many places right now. Um, so let's, let's, let's start here. With protesting, our students fully understand their First Amendment. It is amazing to me. First, let's get this covered. Implicit bias is bias you gain. Is how your subconscious is affected by cultural media, so the things that you watch, the things that you pay attention to. You have to be careful with watching the news because they can show you specific clips or specific situations that may be very biased. Then you must ask yourself, well, who owns the media companies that's controlling this actual concept? Mm. It is amazing to me in America how we actually have people who are frustrated about looting and protesting, but our country was founded upon it. Mm. Yes. When it comes down to us protesting and doing the Boston Tea Act, where they threw the tea inside a river, $1.7 million worth of tea, supposedly, and protesting against England with King George III because the unfair taxes, the intolerable acts, our country has been based off of protesting and violent riots and stuff have happened before. Black Wall Street, things have happened before. So my students are understanding that history, in a sense, is repeating itself, and they're trying to figure out how can we stop this. What, what can we do to fix this situation? And they'll start to say, believe that there needs to be some type of overhaul to the system. With protesting, obviously that's why I agree with the curfews I was listening earlier. For some cities, they put in curfews so they can be able to see if you want to uh, peacefully protest, you can do it during the day. But those that are trying to loot normally coming out at night. Mm-hmm. And it's been some everybody looting, black, white. <laughs> so oh, yeah. everybody, if you look at the clips, um, I just think it's, Students are understanding the power of protesting, and they're trying to make sure they can be able to differentiate if it is actually harming or being helpful. And in certain situations, this is a good example for them to see what's good and what's not good. Um, I've been pushing them to move past just protesting. All right. We have thousands of people walking in the streets. OK, students, what's something else that they can do? They was like, well, Mr. Brown, maybe they can mobilize at the same time with that amount of people and go vote locally <laughs> mm. because it's just as important as the presidential election. Right. So. They understand the power of their voice. Um, they're just trying to figure out how to actually use it inside of our society, especially when some schools don't even get students the chance to be on their social media accounts or talk to them, or even ask their teachers why. Some teachers are offended mm-hmm. they ask why.
2: So, And I think this is... Um a good opportunity to really teach a solid civics lesson too. I mean, because this isn't, this isn't just about protests. This is about the repercussions of elections and you know, you, you brought it up. There is a presidential, believe it or not, there's a presidential election this year. If you wanted to get crazier yes. in 2020, yes. 2020 is like the ultimate boss fight, right? Yes. Like it's, this is, this is crazy. Um, so there's an election coming up and, um, you know, so I think this is a good opportunity for us to teach. I know you teach elementary students, so obviously they, they can't vote, but they're yeah. definitely probably engaged in this conversation mm-hmm. about
1: civic responsibility hey, as well. We, we have learned that, Hmm. there's a difference between ignorance and stupidity. Ignorance is when you do not know at all. Stupidity is when you know and you continue to do the same action. (laughs) At RCA, we hold a school-wide meeting every week, and we talk about current events. Mr. Clark leads it. Our students are very informed in regards to politics, Democrats, moderates, conservatives, liberals. They can break down all the presidential candidates for you. Some of them were shocked that, even I was shocked that Joe Biden was picked as the Democratic nominee Um, because he wasn't even the strongest person on the debate stage at that point in time. So then Mm -hmm. my students were brilliant. Maybe Mr. Barnard, is that possibly sexism? Because such and such had more valid points than he did. So I just really think that this is a powerful moment for us and teachers should definitely go into it. And this is why it's very important that we should just integrate social studies. Because when you just integrate social studies and push it to the back burner, you have people make statements like, go back to where you come from. Yes, all the person, yep. people that people. Like I say, that about Native Americans people. Like, you know, yes, exactly. But that, those things happen when. That's why I try to tell teachers all the time, brothers, that we have a direct influence in the stupidity that's happening in society right now, like in regards to what we've taught in the school system, how we sort of whitewash things, who's written the curriculum, who's telling the side of the story. We have we have done that. It's 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 problematic, and we have a chance to fix it. We have a chance to fix it. That is
0: actually one of the things. Um, you were just talking about nationwide, even though it varies by state, mm-hmm. we have a huge emphasis on math and reading scores specifically, you mm-hmm. know, as far as I think mostly because they're easy to test yeah. in a standardized mm-hmm. way. Sorry. And that emphasis has resulted in specific dollars being funded towards those specific, those activities reading and mathematics knowledge and anything outside of that scope so we're talking about social studies or civics as you were just describing it and then all of the elective areas you know mm-hmm. i i taught Spanish for 20 years. That's like, that's, that's on the side, that's stuff on the side, Mm -hmm. physical education. It's just on the side, Mm -hmm. all of these things, we push them off, but that social studies thing is actually a a really interesting point because in many countries, not in the United States, but other countries, there's a huge, like emphasis on being civically minded and then doing what you need to do as part of that. And one of the things Mm -hmm. is voting. Mm -hmm. And we know that we just don't get very many people out Mm -hmm. to vote, you know, compared to uh, other countries. So it's a you're right. It's a systemic thing that we've actually created, Mm -hmm. and probably it's I I mean it's not really a conspiracy (laughs) because I think it's the truth. Is it's purposeful? Oh, for sure. Is is really if you disengage your the the people, Mm -hmm. and you really are like, eh, it doesn't really matter who is actually. The elected representative from the top, from the president Mm -hmm. to the people that are that sit on our school boards, which if you look at the voting on those local issues, they're horrid. Yes. You know, Mike just talked about like, you know, our presidential election. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just one Election. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. It is a big deal. But our states are really heavily run by the state government and local control in school districts yes. is insane mm-hmm. as far as it could be great or it could be horrible as far as what the decisions that are made locally. And I think people are just disengaged on all those and- things. They really don't ask the questions of those Uh, Candidates, those people that are running for all those positions, really, I don't even know. And very, this is the other part that's disgusting too: is how few people run for those positions. Yes, isn't that crazy? Yes, and and then who they actually are, those people, they are the. I'm 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 just gonna just say it. Usually wealthy white men that own businesses in the area. I mean, that's really who ends up being on a lot of school boards. In in all of these local districts, mm-hmm. what kind of decisions are they gonna be And watch out for the polls
1: when it's time to make important decisions, especially when they don't understand their privilege. When you start mm-hmm. talking about bringing certain speakers in or certain tools and resources, of course it's gonna probably get shot down. That's why when I was at ISTE, I started a new keynote, Be Better, then I was trying to talk about how our education system needs some type of reform. Because if you ask me, and we know the education system was sort of built, just sort of copy the assembly line in the sense. It's, we have a yep. set up just like factories. So because of that, the education system at this foundation was never built to produce innovators and cater to entrepreneurs and have all the the critical thinking, the analytical thinking inside of it. And now we have a chance to do it. But I know there's going to be a huge fight to try to tackle that and the inequities and stuff, because if we really start teaching kids how they're supposed to be taught, like we really start engaging them how we're supposed to think about how many other businesses are going to crumble. Everybody is not going to have to work at uh, McDonald's, even though I've worked at McDonald's and stuff myself. The prison system is going to actually begin to go down the population because we want Mm -hmm. to keep people out of prison, which is a for profit type of company. So I need educators to really understand like we, (laughs) yes, we're underpaid and stuff, but we literally do run this society and how we educate our children and how we talk to them and how we get them to grow is going to determine what happens in the next 20 years. My father was heavy today as I talked to him because he dealt with racism as a child. Mm. And now he has to see what's going on with George Floyd and then inequities and stuff that happened. Now, my nephew, I'll screenshot it it to you, sent me a text today saying, you know, Uncle Mike, are you OK? Are you staying safe? He's nine years old in the third grade because he's learned what's happening with the news. So mm. we have to do something right now. And I'm just trying to make sure I put it out there for all educators and people with platforms and educational companies. I need you to take a stand now because from now on, I'm holding everybody, including myself, accountable. I am I picked up books. There's a book called uh, This Book is Anti-Racist by Tiffany Jewell. I just picked it up because I need to learn the difference between, you know, the non-binary terms and what does cisgender mean? Like, we all have work we have to do, but you can't just say, you know, I don't know if I want to get involved with that. We, we're past that. We're past that. Yeah,
2: well... Listen, Michael, anytime you, you need a place to come and <laughs> yes. talk, you, you know who to talk to, man. The door. Um, and, and hopefully when um, COVID-19 settles down and we, we get to see each other, that our, our paths cross because yes. uh, it's always been great to, to see you and talk to you. Um, Michael Bonner, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's my
1: pleasure. It's my pleasure, brother.
0: Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter. And I can be found on Twitter at irvspanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our podcast rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.